get connected. We'll get this little show on the road. Here's some music. Here's a radio show. Sit back. We're going to give you a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. So would we, so would we, Alvin. We're sure trying. Here we go, uh, trying again for another two-hour session of the Radio Ranch. And it's the, damn, what day is it? Thursday? I guess it's Thursday edition, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yep. Yep, it's Thursday. These days start getting blending when you work every one of them. It's Thursday edition and uh, date stamped uh, the 6th of April, well into the April Fool's Month. we got two days that are April Fool's Days in April, you know. Uh, the one where everybody cavorts around and pulls pranks, and the other one's where you stand in line to go get sheared. <laughs> the holy day of retribution is what my uh, good friend, now deceased, used to call it. Uh, so here we go, Roger Sales. We're uh, streaming on a couple of different outfits, uh, eurofolkradio.com being one of them, radio.globalvoiceradio.net, Paul's Network being another, and maybe some TV outfit that we don't do video, but we do radio, and maybe one or two others. Man, we add them like Carter's liver pills around here. Yeah. HomeNetwork.tv and Freedom Nation. <laughs> there you go. Well, if any of y'all are listening on either one of those two, welcome. Uh, let's see. What else did I need to give out this morning? I guess that's about it on the uh, particulars. Um, had a little uh, – didn't find out about it till after the show yesterday or I made the announcement. But after the show and I was tinkering around doing the stuff I got to do, upload programs and all that, and uh, – answer a few emails etc and uh, boom the phone rings and my phone generally doesn't ring too much and thank goodness and uh miss brindy wells she's going roger roger i know we've been, i have to put slip you in when we get an opening i don't know what that's all about maybe we'll find out at some point anyway i gotta slip you in when we get an opening can you go on tonight and i said of course so uh that's how we set that up and uh brendy and i talked a little bit about what to cover and how to cover it and they like bullet points and john's pretty much of a professional he wants he wants some bullet points laid out that he can fall back on and have a discussion but i, I told brent i'm an old i'm an old broadcaster man i know i know the the ground and i know this material like the back of my hand and just turn us loose we'll do fine um so anyway that was kind of the plan and at the end of the conversation i i mentioned about have you heard of the iterra wand no so uh got a wand on the way to the wells and um and uh, we'll see how that turns out. But last night's show was uh, real good, I thought. I'm, you know, personal critic of myself here. Pretty stiff one, usually. Maybe too much. And uh, I thought the show went exceptionally well last night. 
exceptionally well. It was I was very comfortable. He was very receptive. He let me get into the way I wanted to present the material, being that some of the folks, obviously, that may have tuned in last night had not gotten the initial presentation with all the complex background, and I didn't want to just launch in and leave them out in the cold. So I wanted to give that little bit of a background high point there at the first. I think he appreciated it. I do know one thing with this information, as most of you guys know, the more it's presented in front of you, the more you get. You know, uh, I remember distinctly here recently, um, uh, Nadine and was listening to the, one of the RBN shows there when we were still over there. And, uh, that black gal from Columbus called in real sharp gal and we were going over this and Nadine the next day said on the air here, she said, you know, I heard that last night and I understood it perfectly. And that took months to get to that point for Nadine and for many others, okay? Not not uh, uh, trying to just focus on Nadine. It's just that that was the topical comment, and I know that's the way this is. And just like anything else in life, the only way you get better at anything in this world that I know of is drill, practice, rehearse. Drill, practice, rehearse. Drill, practice, rehearse. And when you've done that, you go back and drill, practice, and rehearse some more. You know the old saying back in uh, uh, back in the early days of the NFL when Vince Lombardi was uh, steering the Green Bay Packers to those early uh, World Championships, and every year when they got back from the Super Bowl and they went into practice, first thing they did was went back and go back to the basics of blocking and tackling. Drill, practice, rehearse. That's the only way you get good at anything and master the basics. And when you know the basics, everything else is easy. Okay, so uh, we got to do that last night, got into the bond issue, which I thought was very topical. We tied it back into the uh, banking situation, and I really appreciated what John said. We were going into, I think, the bottom of the hour break there on one of them, and I had given that information on the bonds, and it, it kind of blew him away. He said, that, that's the best explanation of that I've ever heard. Okay, so uh, that was good, and uh, then we got to go in and cover the passport and what happens there and all that kind of stuff. And then at the last, and, you know, this is important, uh, and I wanted to bring this up on the show yesterday. We never got to it, and I was thankful he did it last night. In fact, I told him when he brought it up, I said, if I get there, I'd give you a big hug and a kiss, man, because I wanted to cover it, and I'd forgotten it. I was, it was going to escape me, you know, and that was the Trump indictments did i'm 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 assuming most of you saw trump's speech that night or excerpts of it right okay okay did did you catch it when he said they're charging me with espionage from a 1917 piece of legislation did y'all catch that no but i caught it when you said it okay nobody it was right in the middle of his speech okay I only caught a little bit of it, but I heard you talk about it, Roger. What? Uh, who was trying? Who was a guy trying to say? Uh oh, we just got popped. Okay. Okay, are we back on yet? 
what are, in the are, world are we back on yet just Jits, had a hiccup yeah we're getting back on right now gosh i only see four people on the board the lucky four oh, i see a lot more than that why would they uh well 22 all right well we're still recording the program okay so for the audience that's listening later jitsy just had a hiccup popped us all off a couple of us have gotten back in um and i don't know whether to go forward or wait a little bit here why do they do that keep going roger all right well i guess we're we are recording the show it is so anyway the um the remark by Trump, thank you, Jitsi, the remark by Trump uh, on his speech that he was being charged with espionage from a 1917 piece of legislation. Now, all of us ought to know what that is. If you don't know what that is, shame on you, unless you're brand new. Uh, and, of course, what he's referring to is the Trading with the Enemies Act that we've covered here fairly extensively. Man, why isn't everybody coming back on the board here, Dad Gummit? You just probably can't see them. There's a lot of people. Huh? Oh, are there? Okay, well, I can only see four little icons, so, yeah, I can't see anybody else. Anyway, um, sorry for the interruption, but that Trading with the Enemies Act was the piece of legislation that they've got this whole thing founded on. And they did it, of course, at the start of World War One. And they declared the Germans the enemy. Y'all know that there was only one sh- vote in Congress back when the country was being founded that we don't speak German? Did you know that, Merka? Say that again? There was only, it was only by one vote in Congress where the oh, Congress okay. decided that England English would be our language. We almost spoke German, folks. Wow. That's the ties into the country. Well, the King George the Third that we were fighting at the time, he was the third of the Georges. They were all of those aristocracies were all inbred over there. Hey, princess, all of them were all inbred over there in Europe. That's why they had hemophilia and all the problems they had from all the damn inbreeding. Okay. And so at one point they brought the House of Wilhelm, which was in Germany, over to rule the English Empire. And that was King George I, King George II. We fought King George III. Do you know that in King George I and II's rule in England that they spoke German as the language of the court of the king? King George III spoke a little English, but he was the first of the three that even spoke English. The rest of them spoke German. Wow. Hey, Paul. Paul, the bridge is down in PPN2. Yeah, Paul's probably pulling his hair out right now. So, anyway, we are still recording, so the show must go on, as Annie Oakley said. Uh, anyway, back to this uh, legislation. In 1917, the Trading with the Enemy Act, and they specifically named German as the enemy. Germans. Germany, Germans. Well, they, when they pulled the bankruptcy in 1933, they took that exact same piece of legislation, exactly, word for word, and re-legislated it, but they changed one word. They took Germans out, 
and they put citizens of the United States in. Probably done in December, right? Well, I don't I'm probably. Well, you know, I don't know when it was done, but I know it was done. It's in the Eugene Schroeder film, Trading with the Enemy Act, which I did plug with uh, on John last night. But Emergency Powers Act. Exactly. And and there's where they're charging Trump. That's where the charges against Trump are coming from. The espionage things he referred to. Okay? So, uh, here we go. Back to the Trading with the Enemy Act and the bankruptcy. Okay? So, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. I was tickled to death that John brought it up, and I got to get that point in and plug that piece of work from Gene Schroeder. Uh, because hey, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, Brent. How you doing this morning, my friend? Uh, pretty good. I uh, listened to you last night. It was great. But um, th- back in the 90s when Schroeder brought that out and it was, you know, had a lot of buzz going to it, the news media came out and said, oh, that's been repealed. Really? Yeah, really? Well, ask Mr. Trump. Uh, so important to be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together here to know our enemies and to take and put it on a timeline, and then you can really see how they work because now you see how they think, okay? Hey, and Roger. That's totally exposing. Good morning, Wayne. Yeah, hey, uh, I didn't know if you caught it or not, but uh, Tucker Carlson had the black Roger Sales on last night. Uh-oh. By the name <laughs> that Jason Whitlock was on. And he started talking about how lawless these people are, like in the New York case with Trump. And when he said, we have to come out of here, we have to come out of here, my people. I said, oh, my God, if this guy's not a national yet, he will be. Well, hopefully. Pretty good little clip. I was laughing the whole time. Oh, cool. I didn't see it. I didn't go to to watch Tucker last night. Uh, But uh, I sure would like to get this information to Tucker Carlson. (laughs) Maybe one day. Maybe one day. One baby step at a time. This one's on God's timetable, folks. I turned it over to him a long time ago. So I can't handle the frustration. Best thing you can do. You open the door when it's time. You know the time. I don't. Open the door. I'll be ready. We'll be ready. Okay? And that's still the posture we're in right there. But we're making progress. Uh, and uh, the uh, the pool of people who are looking for this information is probably growing exponentially by the day. So that's the big variable there is the right timing. And we'll see how the Lord uh, plays his hand here. So uh, what else can we talk about this morning? There was a good show last night. I was tickled to death. I like having a relationship with both of them. And uh, hopefully they'll want to move forward on this. I'd love to. I'd love to schedule a show where I go over there and take John and walk him through the whole process for him to do it personally and let the audience, you know, ride the eerie on that one, so to speak. Hey, Roger. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. I'm I'm going to check out your uh, interview. I didn't didn't get a chance. I tried to click on it. It was in... um, I think it was Telegram, but it, it wasn't. It said the video had been removed, so I'll I'll try to check that out. It sounds yeah. like it was very. Well, he's very protective on his archives too. He charges for archives and stuff. He promoted that a couple of times last night. So, and okay. I just haven't got a link to it from Brenda yet. But 
We'll, yeah. I know Paul's got it, so we'll have it one way or the other. And I have an update on CalPERS that I wanted to kind of uh, bring to the group quickly, if I could, just to kind sure. of uh, <laughs> keep you updated and uh, see what uh, might happen. Um, I finally, um, they were doing some stalling. Uh, at first, uh, it sounds like I trying to say that I hadn't indicated whether I wanted direct deposit or paper check. And so after about three times of, uh, you know, calling in and speaking with three different hey, reps and confirming hey, pr- that. Princess, any old excuse will do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, finally got one that actually was able to tell me, you know, that um, uh, I guess it was processed and would be supposedly hitting direct deposit on uh, around the 11th of this month. Okay. Uh, I, I actually asked him what the amount was. I didn't know if he would be able to see that because one of the reps had told me that they couldn't see it or whatever. It may have been because it was still in process. But they did, they did, uh, they took the taxes out. So uh, here we are. Okay. And uh, just wondering what, if we could step through it. And, you know, I had some ideas. I jotted some stuff down that I... <laughs> that I thought um, uh, might be a response. but um, Well, if they take the taxes out and they're hell-bent and determined to do it, I, I don't know what if you can stop them, okay? But you can yeah, I, you can go back next year and file a 1040 NR, I would think, and get those back. Okay, okay. Um, now, I don't know if um, anyone is aware of that, but with regard to if you've put in a revocation of election to pay taxes um wouldn't that have a different uh well uh, okay you, yes it, it, you could go back and claim your last three years through a revocation process but let's wait and get john on here to go over that uh you know i'm kind of skittish on that because i got burned on it 30 years ago as well as everybody <laughs> else okay yeah. now i know we've got that procedure straightened out now and we find out where the hiccup was but I, since John has gone through it successfully, he dug in through it. He did it all himself. He never even told me he was doing it. He never even asked a single question. He came on the air and told us it was successful. And as soon as he gets everything cleared in his life, he'll come back on here and talk about it. Okay. But you'll be, there's no time limit on it. So you don't have to do it like within two weeks, you know. Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm sure the whole next year would be uh, uh, allocated for you to go back and exercise your your options on that. And uh, you've already got your stuff on file with the secretary, so it would be once we get the process down correctly here, um, it would be fairly simple for you to go ahead and do a revocation and put three years back in and get all that back. I'm sure you'd hate that, wouldn't you? Well, what I'm saying is, no, not necessarily, but um, I, the revocation, I did submit one already is what I'm saying. You did? So, yeah. When did you do that? I, before, this was in uh, 2021. Before you, um, found, before you found us? Yes, yes. Okay, so well, I don't know yeah. what's going to happen there, okay? Quite no, I frankly. understand you don't know. I was just wondering if... Well, I had a conversation with another guy here last week. He wanted to do it in private, and he did the revocation of election back in 2016 and didn't know, of course, we didn't know about the Secretary of State. They didn't back then, and now right. the IRS is coming back on him, Okay. And I don't know, they're still in process of getting amounts and whatever else, but they've got him in a real tight corner now, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was saying that is because I it, I did submit um, 
a revocation of election. It was at the, towards the end of uh, 2021. Right. And I got, you know, I got that uh, the letter from them stating they needed more time to process, and I haven't heard anything, you know, since then. Yeah, well, let's hope you don't, but you might. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but right. again, the Weiss Paris people, and that's who most of these folks have gone through doing this the last number of years. They don't know. They don't know anything about the national status or Secretary of State. They know nothing about it. Right. Okay. So right. I don't know how that girl's been successfully doing this, quite frankly. But well, I'll just you know wait and see. Yeah. Comment. Okay, we got a comment here. Sure, go ahead. Roger this. Roger, this is Joe. Hey, Joe. Going back back, and back up to what you were talking about, uh, Trump bringing up the act in, of 1917, and you say in the media back then said, well, that's all been repealed. Well, I, did, I didn't say that. It Somebody has. else did. Yeah, but we got new emergencies to take its place. Well, the the point here's the point. That act has been repealed with the exception of, if I recall correctly, it's Section 5B of the Trading with the Enemy Act was not repealed, but it was codified in 12 U.S.C. 95B. Okay, what aspect? In the United States Code. What aspect That's of the money of and banking? Uh, okay, no. The, what aspect? What aspect of the set was codified? Well, it's being able to make war on the American people. Okay, now. well, there, well, that there's there's why they're going after Trump. I mean, it, I, exactly. It, That's my point. But for them to say that it's been repealed, they are correct. But only most of it has been repealed yeah but well that's the way they do on the things surface, on the surface it appears that it has been repealed but they did codify section 5b of it that yeah. act well you I know, remember that correctly right. that section right well joe you know rat poison is 95 percent food and five percent poison okay it still kills that's them correct. all right so uh, yeah, I, I just I, wanted to clarify okay, that point. But you can, if anyone that wants to look it up, you can you can find the remnants of the Trading with the Enemy Act in twelve USC ninety five B. Okay, and if anybody ever offers that as an objection, you just say, "Well, it wasn't totally repealed," and now you got the answer for them. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. And that's straight from Jane Schroeder. Okay, good. Uh so uh, Princess. On your revocation yeah. situation, you're just going to have to wait and see on that one. And this is um, one of those shades of gray. I, I just can't give yeah. you a definitive yeah, answer, I, you know. I was just wondering with regard to a, um, I guess, it would a FOIA request just to see if they even placed it in there is necessary, but it sounds like. Oh, you, believe me, if you filed it they and you got a letter back, they got it. You don't need a FOIA. Okay. The letter back. I'm talking about Calpers here. I'm sorry. Oh well, I don't know if you can FOIA Calpers. They're not a government agency. They're a private investment deal. Ah, okay. Okay. It's just a thought in my head. Yeah, and you may be able to. I may be wrong, but I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna just look into it just to see. All right. Um. So at this point, you would say, and you mentioned John because there's a lot of people on the call. Which John are we? 
I, I've heard you reference John Garland. John Garland. John Garland. I'll use his full name, and he's normally in Alpharetta, is where he lives. Alpharetta, Georgia, just north of Atlanta, where I used to live. And uh, but he's up at the family estate, if you will, or the family property up in in Il, Indiana, I believe. So when he gets around to it, we hadn't heard from him in a while. I know he's busy. He's got a lot of stuff on his plate. So whenever he's ready, Prince is all I can tell you. Okay. Well, thank all you. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Where else can we go this morning with our limited? I can't see very many of you. All I see is four of you. Roger. Yes, there's a Roger. Hello. Hello. This is a voice that you haven't heard for three months. This is Ron in Georgia. Hey, Ron, where in the hell have you been? Working. <laughs> Working hard. My mother passed, and we had all sorts of things oh, you know, okay. going on with that. Right. And, um, I'm sorry. Anyway. My sympathies, by the way. Well, thank you. I, I sent you and uh, John and Kathy a note that uh, her last few months, her I Terror Hurts one was like the only comfort she had, and she just really enjoyed it. Isn't that uh, fantastic? Didn't save her life, but she she really loved it. Isn't that fantastic? Because you've got the same feelings I do about my mom. She's still with us. But, man, the opportunity to be able to improve her life with that little device just gives me warm fuzzies, you know? It's it's really cool. But I've been just soaking up as much of this kind of stuff as I can from – uh, House of Marcus Fellowship, The Art of Passing the Buck, The Redemption Manual from SEDM, Joe Luska's Rumble Side. I mean, just soaking as much up as I can. And uh, I had a little bit of research I wanted to share, kind of related to revocation of election, uh, since we were just talking about it. Um, I think you probably remember that I had a uh, an S corporation in addition to, to myself, and and my uh, just in trying to figure out how to cleanly wrap that up, I, I did some research, and in of course, the revocation of election can happen for the previous, the entire previous tax year, and we still have up until I guess next Saturday the fifteenth. If you filed it, it would technically be effective for all of 2022's tax year. Well, what happens when you have an S corporation and you do that? An S corporation is is allowed to have a non-resident alien as a shareholder. Is okay, and hold on, you clipped. Is not allowed to have a non-resident alien as a shareholder or subchapter S that's part of the rules. Correct. That is that is part of the rules and you actually when you file form 2553 the election to be an S corporation, you're you're saying that no shareholders are non-resident aliens, and you're also affirming that you're a domestic corporation in the District of Columbia, the federal United States. Okay. Well, there's a lot of motivation and to move over to a trust right there, isn't it? There is, and I'm trying to soak all that in, but it's it's going to be another few months probably before I well, do that. Ron, you know you know that's Brent's specialty, right? Uh, no, I was not aware of that. That Brent's specialty, what he has specialized in more than anything else, is trusts. Okay. Well, he would definitely be a, a good guy to, to get to, but it's hard I, to get on his calendar. I don't I don't know <laughs> if you could find a better one in the country, quite frankly. Yeah. But well, if I you will... need some help getting to him, I'll help you, okay? so. Thank you. 
Uh, but what I what I wanted to share was um, looking at it was twenty six USC thirteen sixty one. Ooh, that's where IRS. they go into. Did I'm you, sorry. What what was the title? I thought you said twenty six. Did you say twenty six? Twenty six. That's USC thirteen sixty one. All right. They go into uh, different definitions of small business corporations and S corporations, but the the long story short from um, section D two of that title, you cease to be an S corporation whenever you you don't meet the qualifications anymore. Which for me would mean that as of January of last year, I didn't have an S corporation anymore. Right, and so I'm trying to figure out how to wrap wrapped it up cleanly and the only thing i can think of is to to kind of send them uh some kind of a letter that says this corporation is not doing trade or business with the united states and it's not in the federal united states and just leave it at that because i don't know that i could honestly put down on a, a form that i did trade or business which is government work in the federal united states as part of the business because i didn't Wow, I didn't know that this about a subchapter S. So that's very interesting and new information to me. Hello, somebody's hey, got Roger. somebody's got their beamer on. Hey, yeah, Bruce. yes, Bruce. Um, could he not classify that corporation as a national? No, because how does a corporation that's incorporated by the state achieve God-given rights? Well, that's what they got with us. But we're individuals. We're not a corporation. No, no, they're not. We're not a damn corporation. Get that stuff out of there. That's patriot crap. Okay, you're not a corporation. You're a slave. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. You're a corporation. Where are your bylaws? You see, this is all patriot crap. Okay. Roger. Yeah. Yes. Can you on that? Because that is that's I, I I've heard that over and over again, and now I'm hearing you say that it's patriot crap. Well, yeah. And I, I just want to understand. How, I'm just trying to grasp it. I, okay. I, well, what, all right. What is a corporation? A corporation is a entity which is granted its life by the state. You have to apply to the secretary of state to incorporate you. Okay. And it gives you limited liability. All right. And you've got bylaws that you have to submit with your application and all that kind of stuff. Did you submit any of those when you were born? Did your parents do it for you? Did they do it on our behalf, though? Or? No. Just just, curious. These are people that have been looking for the answer we've got for all these decades, and they say, oh, all caps, that must be a corporation. I'm a corporation. No, you're not. You're a person. You're just a slave corporation receives its rights and duties from the state because the state gave it life how else does a corporation get life without being incorporated by the state it can't the person um the way that that is defined though is is not as a corporation or an entity and a person is an entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. 
These are those pesky basics I keep talking about. A person, I'm going to repeat it, Princess, and we're going to plug it into the formula. A person is an entity, keyword, entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. Entities can be, and you know, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress for a second. This is my litmus test question for Patriot researchers. I've been using it for years. I've never had one person, I have had one person, but he wasn't American, answer the question correctly. Okay. And this goes back to this word entity and this definition of person as it relates to that formula R plus D equals R. This is why it's so important that you get some command of this, okay? Entity. Well, my question to Patriot researchers is, what's the legal definition of person? I've been asking them for many years, princess. Every one of them, including Aladask, came back with the answer of corporate fiction. So is a poor person a corporate fiction? It's an entity, okay? But what else can be a person? A trust, that's an entity. A partnership, that's an entity. But when it comes to us humans in the law, we're always identified as individuals. So an individual can be a person too, okay? How? What's the determinant on all of that is that formula. R plus D equals R. You've heard me talk about that, right? Yes. Okay. So a person is an entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. So now you go back to that formula and say, am I all persons born or naturalized in the United States, 14th Amendment? Is that you? Why not? Because you don't get any rights under the 14th Amendment called civil rights, and therefore you owe no correlative duties. Therefore, you're not that person. Okay. Okay. You with me? Yes. Okay. But the corporation, if it gets its life from the state and the secretary of state of your state, it does get its rights under the 14th Amendment, doesn't it? So this is where corporations are considered 14th Amendment persons. And that's the link that our people have been looking and thinking it is for all these years because they don't understand this legal background stuff and don't feel out in the cold. None of the damn lawyers do either. They haven't been teaching these concepts for the most part in American law schools for 90 years, princess. Intentionally, so yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, for- so here the open question: Who was the one person that I asked the question to that not only answered it correctly but answered it correctly immediately? It was my attorney in Argentina? He even cited the uh, an entity to whom the law scribes rights and duties. He even cited it specifically, word for word. So they're teaching these concepts in other countries of the world. They're not teaching it in the U.S. How do I know that? 
because of John. At some point, John called, I don't know which law school it was, it was in Utah, probably one of the big ones, called one of the Utah law schools out there and got the dean on the phone, okay? And he's going, hey, Mr. Dean, I'd sure like to come back to law school. I love the law. Well, hey, we'd love to have you, you know, and they get into a conversation and and John goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the word person. And the dean goes, oh, no problem. Yeah, we teach that. He says, you do? He said, yeah, it's an elective, which means that, which means that when enough students sign up for the course, we teach it, you know, it's a course called jurisprudence. All right. And John astutely said, well, Mr. Dean, when was the last time you taught it? Um, six years ago. Yeah. Six years of law students graduated through his law school and were never even exposed to the legal concept behind the damn word person in the law. Does that make well, the point? You. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay, but it's, you're not a corporation. A corporation has to be given life by the Secretary of State. Okay, now if I remember correctly, and this is reaching back in my memory from those days, the case where they gave corporate personhood is called Brown versus International Shoe. And I want to think it was back in the 1800s. So if somebody wants to do a little background research on that, bring us Is that F-H-U-E or just shoe like you put on your... It's, on your it was a shoe manufacturer. Uh, gotcha. uh, the, the international shoe was in St. Louis, Missouri, and Brown was up in Washington State, and they used what's called the long arm statute to, to finish the case, and that was where they gave corporations personhood, if I remember correctly. Oh. Okay, so, uh, but no, we're not corporations, Princess, and anybody that's got any of that patriot mythology in in your subconscious there, do your best to sweep it out, because it's not, it's not true. Just have heard it said, you know. Like, well, of course, oh, well, uh, you know, everybody knows, everybody knows. No, everybody doesn't know, everybody thinks they know. Okay. And so if you're going forward with that um that school of thought thinking that you know that persons are, are uh, corporations or even the corporate fiction because well, persons, persons are corporations but not legal per legal persons are corporations but not human persons ah uh, gotcha i mean ron 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 here that we we've hijacked the conversation with poor old Ron. Ron went out and set up a corporation. That's what brought this whole discussion on. Well, is the corporation is subchapter S the same as Ron? No. Sorry, Ron. Just wanted to get some clarification on that. That's a, no, it's a sticky wicket and it's a big problem in our community because people have got these lingering pieces of disinformation in their mind and they think it's right. They try and bring it into their thinking and their understanding and it's wrong. Just like law don't mean land, air, water. <laughs> Thank you. I swear, I, I think I must have almost fell out of my chair the first time I heard that one, TP. Or Sketch, whichever one of the two of you it is. No, it's TP. It's TP. I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing. Let, let, the, let's just pull something out of thin air and put it out there as gospel, okay? 
and charge people and charge people on top of that. The only thing I ever heard David Strait say that actually made sense was that government employees are compartmentalized legal idiots. <laughs> and uh, that is true. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but he may fall into that category, too. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to bring this up because I know there, there are a few people that uh, that come into to this community that have corporations and they're trying to deal with it just like I am. You want to deal with it with honor and, and dissolve the corporation and whatnot. But um, anyway, it's just, it's one of those interesting areas. And uh, I just, I hadn't heard anybody talk about 26 USC 1361. So I just wanted you know, to um, Ron, here's an idea for you. You, you uh, incorporated that company in Georgia, right? Correct. Why don't you go to the secretary of state and ask them? Hey, here's my dilemma. I've changed my status. I find this here in the statutes, and it appears that the corporation no longer is in existence because of my actions as of the first of this year. Is that correct? You're talking about the secretary of the IRS? No, the secretary of state of Georgia dealing with your with your corporation. He's the one incorporated it. Well, it still exists according to them. It's the S corporation election. Uh, like you form the corporation and then you do the S corporation election so your income passes through the corporation uh-huh. to you. Oh, okay. So initially, when you do a subchapter S, you set up a straight corporation and then you do something to make it qualify as a subchapter S and get the pass through aspect. Correct. Okay. Um, gosh, Ron. Uh, I think you ought to really look at at converting that into a trust, okay? Um, but uh, I that's, that's my goal. It's just a matter of getting your head around all that stuff. I, it takes I understand. A long time. I know, man. It's complex stuff. And when you do it, you want to do it right. Of course, I don't disagree with you one bit. Um, I, uh, I with that clause in the statutes it would at least benefit you to throw an inquiry to the secretary of state and ask them because they're the ones that incorporated of georgia not of the u.s you're not a federally incorporated corporation you're a georgia corporation right correct yeah yeah why don't you throw something over their bow and just ask them Ask that same guy from the Secretary of State's office I was corresponding with the last year. Yeah, the, the, on the, on on what you're classified as as an electric. They probably got different yeah. departments that specialize in that up there. This one would be uh, this question. I'm sure you'd want to feel through the uh, incorporation side. But just ask them. Well, look here. I've done this. This is what I've found. How how does that affect me? How does that affect my corporation at this point? Yeah. Well, let let us see how they react. You know, the only way we learn things around here is to ask questions. Has somebody got their beamer on or they shaving or what? Sounded like a sheep or something. I don't know. No, I just received a phone call, and whenever I receive a phone call, I'm on this. Oh, it gives that. Okay. Okay. I got you. Okay. No problem. Sorry. Well, Ron, it's great to hear from you. I've been wondering where you were. I figured you're just busy. Yeah, I've been busy in a lot of ways. And, um, another thing I wanted to mention was um, you're always looking for ways that we can uh, press the envelope uh, with with this type of material. And 
I've started doing that as far as opening up a bank account without being a U.S. citizen. Okay. And that is actually a, a very difficult thing to do. Well, it's easier if you go in and set up a no-interest account. Because then, I've been trying that, and they don't seem to understand. You can have a USA passport, you can have a birth certificate from a state in the, of the union, and you're not a U.S. citizen. They just don't seem to comprehend it's, that. It's very well. There's your there's your Pavlovian uh, conditioning right there. How do you hey, Ron, going hey, Ron, to on that point? Let me, on that point, can I make a point? Yes, sir. Why do you think they ask you the two questions the way they do? They've conditioned you into answering yes. Yeah. Are you a resident? Are you a citizen? There you go. Roger, are you saying a non? Hey, Roger. Before you let go, hold on. Now we're going to hold on. Hold on, TP. I'm going to defer to the female every time, Princess. Yeah, just real quick. Uh, um, you said getting a non-interest bearing account um, puts you in that category of being a non-citizen. Or no, I know I didn't say that. I said that opening a non-interest bearing account that their concern is IRS stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you go in and get a non-interest bearing account, it takes the IRS out of the picture, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I do have one, and that's what I thought. So I just wanted to clarify. Okay. All right. TP? On the small business corporation, you see that section B there. It says in general, for the purpose of this subchapter, and then I skip down to B. It says have a shareholder, a person, and then it has in quotes, other than an estate, a trust described <laughs> in subsection C2. I'm trying to wrap my head around what this, uh, what Roger's talking, I mean, um, Ron is talking about. You say you can't have a trust no. as a no, it was an S corporation. The if you go down to the next one where it says have a non resident alien as a shareholder, that's where my S corporation ceased to have the uh, that election last year when I became a non resident alien. Hey Ron, how about this? You can keep that structure and just don't be a shareholder in 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 the uh, subchapter S, and then let it pass through any income to you, and you're out of the income tax game already think that'd work that's a possibility i don't know how i'd have to yeah I, I could talk to my accountant about that yep so just exchange take you out as a shareholder and put uh, somebody you trust in him or uh, somebody else and then you continue in in your own on on your own uh, uh, way you're set up already or you could look at a trust or you could uh, do a consultation with brent and ask him about some of these fine points he'd probably be the ultimate answer can't you, okay. Couldn't you just convert it from an SOC? Why not hold? Couldn't couldn't you convert it from a what TP? From an S to a C corp. Then the the C corp, the the funds will flow through. I'm not sure if that. Well, the, I'm not sure if that same thing doesn't apply to C corps too. But Ron, you're just gonna have to do some homework here, man. Sure. My uh, my situation is very simple. I was just gonna not have a corporation at all. The reason I did form a corporation was. When you're in the system and your income gets to a certain level of 1099 income, you end up paying a lot more in payroll taxes if you don't incorporate. That was the whole reason I did it many years ago. Oh, I see. And now that that's not an issue. 
Well, just scrap the whole damn thing and do it as a sole proprietor. Hold on a second. Just scrap the whole damn thing and do it as a sole proprietor, Ron. You'd be cool there, too, I think. That's what I'm trying to do, but I still have to deal with, um, you know, a few months of either filing or giving the IRS some type of notice, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. Right. Okay. Well, of course, it's, you know, it's not my area of expertise by any field, but there are people you can talk to. Who was trying to say something there a second ago? Hello, Roger. Yeah, Mark. All right. We got Mark and Gary. Uh, Mark, back burner. Gary, what you got? Well, just saying, can't he make himself an employee of the subchapter S? You might could do that. that. Well, you might could do that too. You know, that's another option okay. potentially. Max out, max out the uh, your wages as an employee, then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, well, he's got his job is to get himself out as an as an officer of the subchapter S because that's what's causing the problems here. It seems if you can get that replaced, you probably got some options there, uh, Ron. Mark, what the other your, thing? All right. Don't go into a bank unless you're going to fill out a WABEN to open an account. And if they don't know what a WABEN is, you better find a new bank. Uh, you know, there's one of the suggestions of taking your WABEN, going to the IRS, getting it certified or officiated or whatever they do. Now take it back to the bank. Hey, Roger? Yes. I, this princess, I just wanted to speak on that because I did that. I had a long discourse with uh, at the field office. They 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 totally said they don't do that unless the only things that they stamp or, or documents that they're going to retain and and forward on for you if they have to go to the IRS. I recorded the whole conversation. Oh, okay, be, and so I know Joe had suggested that. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm going to uh, kind of try to. Well, evidently he got it. I think he got his done that way, so it may be variants in IRS offices. Yeah, I Roger, who was, you um, don't need to take a W eight B into the IRS if your bank is small no. enough or dumb enough not to understand what a W eight B in is, then get a different bank. We're not having any problem up here in Montana opening accounts with WABNs. Okay. None. So there, Ron, well, there's, there's another speak- suggestion for you. Go ahead. I was just speaking to the fact that he was saying, because I was trying to submit mine to my uh, quote-unquote employer, and the suggestion was to take it to a, a right. field office, a right. office stamp, so that they may feel a little more at ease right. with um, accepting the form. That's right. what I was speaking Correct. To. Well, I, I think I, evidently somebody has done that, but I don't know for sure. Again, we get into all these forms and stuff. I'm learning right along with you guys, okay? I don't – in my particular situation, the W-8 was not the problem. The problem was their software only spits out that you are a U.S. citizen, you have to sign an affirmant. Like oh. there's they, – they don't have a way around that because their software is written faultily. Yeah, uh, try a savings alone. Okay. Just scroll down and select other. Uh, Mark, you had something to add here, buddy. We want to entertain what you got to say. Well, uh, Roger, first of all, I don't know why you just you know lit a match and threw it in my house. <laughs> well, it's just my way, was man. Just screaming. <laughs> My straw man was just screaming, blasphemy, blasphemy. 
coming off with all this stuff about all capital letters and a person not being a corporation. He, oh, he was slap, mad. Would you slap he him upside the head? Mad. You slap him upside the head and tell him it's from me, okay? <laughs> well, uh, on the S-Corp situation, you know, S-Corp is really designed for a sole proprietor. So when you set that up, you are saying you are the sole proprietor, the sole you know, uh, stockholder of that corporation, if you want to call that. And um, if you're going to change this, and I'm, I'm working with somebody right now who is going through a similar process, when you create like an LLC, you have a choice of whether you want to use an S-chapter corporation or if you just want it to pass through. So if you if you convert that to an LLC, if it isn't already, then you just don't ever use it as an S corp. You don't you don't let your accountant declare it as an S corp. And I've seen this happen so many times. Now this is prior to you know learning your information about being a national. But whenever people create an LLC and they go to their accountant or Whoever does their taxes, they'll go, oh, well, you have to be an S-Corp. They just tell them, you have to be an S-Corp for tax purposes, and the person doesn't know any better, so they just get talked into being an S-Corp. So uh, you could be an LLC, or you potentially could even convert it to a doing business as. A DBA. Just a plain old DBA. Uh, you could keep the same name, drop off the LLC or whatever you have hanging on the end of your business name, and keep on trucking. Um, and, and the Mark, most important thing Mark, is... Mark, I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm yes. going to put you and Ron together on email so Ron can consult you on this, okay? Okay. Sure. sure. Talking about and the thing, Hold on. Let uh, Mark... Let Mark finish. And the last thing for everybody listening, for the love of God, please put your stuff in a trust. Please put your stuff in a trust. It's not hard. I've done several over the years. Um, Just you can even have self-help things that you can go put your stuff in a trust if you need to. But put your stuff in a trust. I, I can't I can't stress it any more than that because once you have your things in a trust, if the IRS comes along and says, oh, we don't like the way you did something. Well, you got your things in an irrevocable trust and it's protected. Now, and then, and then if you look at, if you look at, uh, uh, there's six primary elements to make your trust unbreakable. Um, and you, you remember Weiss talking about he was busting trust until Pi, uh, uh, Weiss Paris created their own company and they started doing trust. But there's six primary elements. They're not difficult. I, I found a case in the Tenth Circuit Court on express private trust, and it was looking sketchy. I'm reading the decision in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, I'm like, oh, this trustee kind of did some sketchy things. And I'm like, uh, with the money, and I'm like, okay, uh, this kind of looks bad. And then at the end, the judge goes, nevertheless, they meet these six elements, and he lays out the elements, 
and the trust can be busted. And guess who was trying to tr- who? Excuse me. Guess who was trying to bust the trust? IRS. There was a bankruptcy trustee. Oh, okay. There was a bankruptcy trustee trying to break the break the trust, and they couldn't do it. Okay, now let's go over some general stuff on trusts here. I know a little bit about it, not intricately. But I do remember in the 90s a lot of patriots and a lot of patriot hawkers going around the country trying to get people into trusts and sell them trusts for IRS purposes. A trust is not a tax vehicle, folks. It is a property vehicle. Oh, no, vehicle. it's not. And you start playing with taxes and trusts, you're going to have problems. Because the minute the IRS gets it, they're going to treat it as a person. That's exactly right. Okay. The other thing, too, is just remember this. Trust is only for holding property. property. Now, property can be, right, it can be real estate. It can be funds. It can be money. Automobiles. Right. But uh, automobiles, yeah. Now, on automobiles, never put that in a trust with other things. Right. Always alone. Automobiles should be in a simple trust. Right. All alone. Yes, always separate. Never put an automobile right, on right. a truck. Roger, I have a question. Right, well, exactly. Hold on. Three or four people. Now, hold on. Three or four people can't talk at once. Murka, and then I'm going to get the guy who's uh, is trying to talk. Murka? I was just wondering, um, we're removing ourselves from the IRS, right? Well, I so guess so, if, if you want property, to. property... Yeah, if we have property and we are nationals and removed ourselves from the IRS, why would we need a trust for that, though? Well, different people use trust for different things, you know. One thing, the reason you put property in a trust is because you avoid probate. They can't steal any of it. How about if somebody falls? And joins to sue you, right? All that stuff, you. and see if the or if you let's use the car, it's easier. If the car's in a trust by itself, and you have an accident, it's your fault. They can only come after the trust. Yeah, I, I see that. Okay, so a, a trust started back in Rome, folks. The Roman generals would put their estates in trust when they were off on campaigns because they'd be gone for years sometimes. Okay, so that's the origin of them. Mark, what else you got to add here on trust while we're talking about it? Somebody, no, hold on. Let me see. There's somebody trying to say something in the background a minute ago. Who was trying to add something? Well, come on, you were talking over everybody else a uh, minute ago. I lost my turn. Okay, whoever whoever it was, now's your time. Come forward. Maybe they'll come back. Okay, go Can ahead. Can you hear me, Roger? Yeah, I hear you fine. Okay. Uh, the um, the other thing too is if you use a trust to do business, the taxes are immediately through the roof. It's very very irritating to me. What's irritating to you? The, the dog barking in the background is irritating to me. What's irritating to you? Oh, come on, man! You talk in here and come in. When I say talk, you don't talk. What's irritating to you? Thank you. I think he muted his mic out because of the dogs. Okay. But it, but you don't want to use a trust as a business for, you know, two reasons. One is immediately the taxes go through the roof. I mean, just a, a small amount of money causes uh, the maximum taxation. And then um, if you get sued, 
the trust is now involved. So, you know, you, you, you don't want to use a trust to do business with. And I've, I've, I've heard the Patriot mythology all along about all the using trust to do business. And I, I highly disagree with that. Uh, if you're going to do that, make sure there's no other property in the trust. Don't use the trust to throw everything yeah. in one basket. No, it's not, an, it's not an umbrella vehicle. No, it's not. No, it's not. So anyway, that's hey, about Mark, all I got. Go six I, points. Uh, TP? TP? Uh, I, I don't have it in front of me. Hey, Roger, I have a question about okay. something else now. Good, good yeah, right. Whenever you guys are done. Okay. Um, I think we're done at this point, unless anybody oh. else has got any trust verbiage. Got those six elements, Mark, or no? Yeah, what's the six elements, Mark? Uh, it takes me a second to look. It takes me a second to look it up. Okay, but, Roger. Um, yeah. I don't have them okay. totally memorized. Well, if you can get them, it'd be Go great. Ahead. Or you know, we may can talk about trust with Brent on Friday. You can bring those elements in too. That's another option. Yes, Marka. So I was thinking. Um, there's some students asking what we can do on. Um, with everything that's happening, it still affects us in some way, um, with what they're doing to the U.S. citizens. So I'm trying to figure out what we can do as nationals since we have more, you know, through the states. I wonder if we can contact, um, I don't know, some kind of lawful way to contact uh, Congress or the courts or, or something. You know, to make sure that they put an end to all this that they're doing, because what it's are they doing, it's, it's what affecting you- us. Um, like the, like what they're trying to do with the food and uh, the five uh, G, six G networks, everything. There's nothing that we can do about it. Uh, maybe some attorneys. Tom Rents is all over this food thing. Uh, uh, Todd Callender is all over this DNA thing at the 10th Circuit. Uh, I don't know of anything we can do except just step out of it. And if they, you know, find some other place to source your food, you, you're on solid grounds to tell them you're not taking any jabs and all that stuff. But I don't know how you can do anything with it above at courts or anything else except have to go in and defend it. Right. Okay. So we're kind of brainstorming on that, too. All right. Well, good luck. Uh, learn the information and be able to... Learn the information and be able to defend your position. Go ahead, Mark. All right. So on the six elements, so this comes from a, a case that's easy to find. Um, I'm on computer. I just had it pulled up here. So the case is called NRAY. Bomb, B as in Baker, A as in Apple, U as Umbrella, M as in Mary. That's 22F3, D as in David, 1014. This is a 1994 case, and it was before the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. So the decision cites that Colorado law provides the following elements are required to establish an express private trust. And this is one of the most powerful trusts that you can create is an express private trust. The settler's capacity, this is number one, the settler's capacity to create a trust. So the, the, the other term for settler that we often hear is the grantor. Right. So 
whoever's creating this trust has to have the capacity to create it. In other words, you can't have somebody that's 15 years old create it. Right. You know, they got to be an adult. They have to have, you know, be of sound mind. So they have to have the capacity to create their trust to their intention to create a trust. So this is what they were wanting to do. It's their intention. Number three, a declaration of trust or a present disposition of the res. Of course, the res means the thing, right? The disposition of that thing. Number four, an identifiable trust, res, which we just described. Five, you have to have a trustee. And six, you have to have identifiable beneficiaries. Right. Those are the six elements that you need for an okay. express private trust. So let's go into this for the for some of the folks that might not not know this. The trust is a person. R plus D equals no, R. No, it's not, Roger. Well, it no, no it trust can't, is not a person. Okay, well, it can be. The IRS can dictate it to be a person if you screw with it. But the important thing is, is it's a unilateral contract. Now, Brent went into this a couple of weeks ago, and I never thought about it like this, Mark. A regular contract is between two people, right? Yeah, exactly. A trust is a one-way contract. It's a one-way agreement. I thought that was very interesting. Okay. Um, I would gr- say that, especially with the beneficiaries, because the beneficiaries do not have to agree nope. to be part of the trust. Nope, they don't. They're just named. They're just named, okay. And they're whoever you want them to be. And the real Correct. advantage, well, there's now a the number. Trustee has, the go, the go trustee ahead. has to agree to be the trustee. That's correct. Okay. The trustee has to be agreement. He's basically the manager of the trust. Okay, he dictates what goes on with it. All right. But the real reason that a lot of people use trusts is because the the trust, when you die, if you're the trustee, you've the grantor and the trustee, you've granted the property into the trust. When you pass, it goes straight to the beneficiaries. That's what I meant is in essence it's a person yeah. because it doesn't go to probate. Yeah. It is continues to live. Okay. And so yes, that's, that's the big thing that's is what you, they talk about. I think you you called it I think Roger you called it also the the uh, what was it the the hand from the grave because depending upon what you write in that disposition of the trust or I call it the constitution of your trust you can have all kinds of things. You can say, when this beneficiary reaches age 25, they get $10,000. Uh, or, or when this beneficiary does some, meet some certain requirement, then they get land. You know, you can, you can set these, dictate the terms, these parameters. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. exactly. Now, do you know about South Dakota, Mark, and trusts? Companies from all um, over the no, world. Well, they revised their trust law a couple of years ago, okay? And they're like one of the trusts. I wasn't aware of that. uh, You you were or weren't? We're not. Okay, well, it's a huge trust state now. And this came up in a case that I read about, I don't know, six, eight, ten months ago or something. And there's a loophole in it, okay? And the loophole is if you've got somebody that's, let me see if I can get it right, 
you can change trustees of the trust without informing the beneficiary. And the way Whoa. this came up was a guy uh, and wife, guy and wife married. He did real well. He put, wrote the trust, wrote her in as the beneficiary. They got uh, separated and he went in and changed the trustee and the trustee then changed the beneficiary and the wife was shut out. Well, to the best of my knowledge, a trustee can't change the beneficiary. Well, so I'm kind of curious what they I, wrote know, into and that I, constitution. I may, I may have some of those. It's just something I read. I recall it. it I, I'm memory pegged okay. it, but you can't remember well, all thank, the specifics. Thank but, you. I'll research that. I definitely want to research that. Well, South Dakota is the trust state now. All right. Cool. Okay. Let me let me share one other thing on this. On an express private trust. It's so private that nobody gets a copy. In other words, if for some reason you got called into court, then the opposition doesn't get a copy of the trust. Oh. Uh, the only person that can see the trust is, is the judge. And the judge, it'd be like a private meeting, what we refer to as in camera. In, in camera. And, and the judge, right, so the judge can review the documents, but they can't make copies of it. And if, if he tells the other party this is a legitimate trust, the other party's just going to have to accept the judge made the proper decision. Wow. It's, it's extremely private. It's very yeah, powerful it's right there. Uh, what you just went over is power, folks. Yes. yes. Do what, so, TP? Yeah, there's lots of different kinds of trust. Yes, there's over 100. TP, what's your, uh, what's your comment? No, this is uh, something that Mark and I we started. You know, I shared with Marco. I don't know how many months ago. Cheap, uh, kind of floored him. And I was like, "What?" So we started talking about the Express Trust, and that's one of the best ones, in my opinion, that I found in, in the decades gone by. That that is the best one. Why? And the story that he's talking about is one that uh, was trying to take her husband's uh, money, and uh, that didn't work out. Because he was able to go in and change things around, um, I won't take up any time with the particulars. But he was able to change things around, and she got nothing. Yeah, you you, you read so about that. You read you read about that case too. You TP, you got a real funky phone. Yeah, yeah. How are you? How are you connecting with us? Yeah. Are you dialing in, or are you using Jitsi Jitsi Mead, or what? Okay. Well, you know, you're. Uh, we we want to hear what you got. You're a valuable contributor to our conversations here, but man, we need to get you connected better. Because just then, when you were talking, there's a high there's a high end squeak in the background that's very distracting. Sounds like a tea kettle. Yeah, it did kind of. Okay, so maybe we can get with Paul. Paul, are you with us now? Or are you scrambling trying to fix this jitsy hiccup? Um, a little bit of both. Okay. Well, it is, but that little squeal still there. Oh, okay. I think the fans are real Yeah, it sounds like an alarm. It, it's it's a weird deal, man. And uh, can we get TP's connection straightened out, Paul? It sounds. Uh, everybody else in conference sounds fine. Everybody else in conference usually yeah. sounds fine, except for Wahid. 
but what it sounds like is a streetcar dragging one of its legs and squealing on the rail. That's, That's what it right. sounds it does. like. It does. I'm using free conference call. Oh, well, you're coming in loud and clear. You know. so, I don't know, TP. It's something on your end. You're not using Bluetooth or something, are you? I'm literally right on the phone. Well, you're better now. It's nice. gone now. Okay, whatever. Okay. Uh, so, what were you? You read that? Did you read about that same case that I was talking about in South Dakota? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. what happened was the gentleman was he married someone, and he that person was not with him when he built the business. Right. So he when they got divorced, there was something that went on there. I think she cheated on him or something like that. I won't get into particulars, but. He, she didn't have anything to do with the building of the business. So he did put her into, she was involved in the truck, but then he was able to take her out. Without her knowing it. Uh, without, without her knowing it was the key part. Yes. Yep. Without her knowing it. It's no. some, and it's no. a weird quirk. If he changed it. Uh, let me just say, Mark, it's some a little loophole or weird quirk in this South Dakota trust law. Okay. Well, here's the thing. If you're allowed to change the the trust, the terms of the trust, or even the beneficiaries, that's an irrevocable, um, excuse me, it's a revocable trust, which most people do because they want to, con- they want to retain control over their trust. But there's a, there's a really bad downside to a revocable trust. It can be broken. It, it can be broken. So irrevocable is the way you want to do it. And if you word your constitution of your trust properly, then things can, like you can move property and in and out. I mean, like, for instance, if people, you know, I think on average people buy and sell their home like every seven to ten years. So you don't want a trust that locks that in there and you can't do anything with it. So if it's to the benefit of the trust, to sell that and buy another piece of property, you want to word that so that you're you have property that can pass yeah. in and pass out of exchange. your trust and still be irrevocable. Right. And again, there's over a hundred different types of trusts, and all of them have little nuances and stuff. It was my understanding exactly. that you, once you've put a property in to a trust, you can't take it out. You're now the trustee. It ain't your property anymore. It's the trust property. That's correct, but the trustee has to execute the trust to the benefit of the beneficiaries. And if you have it written in the trust, that property can you know pass in and out and of the then trust. You can, then it gives you the leeway the trustee to do it. Can do that. Okay, cool. Flexibility again. Yes, there's exactly. more than a hundred different kinds of these things. So uh, the exactly. one that all the anyway, patriots always wanted that, to go yeah. back to was a common law trust. That's another one. Okay. And that's probably the kind yeah. Brent specializes oh. in, be my my thought. And let me add you, one other thing, Roger, I found this so intriguing. Um, when I, I've read cases where attorneys say they represent the trust and they got shot down by the court immediately because the trust is a relationship. Right, it is. So that's true. An attorney can represent the trustee. The attorney can represent the beneficiaries, but not the and trust. it can represent the grantor or the settler, the one right. that created the trust. Right. But they, there's no such thing as 
an attorney representing the trust because it's a relationship between all these parties. Right, and it's the trustee that would do that. Correct, correct. Or the beneficiaries, if the beneficiaries think that the trustee is not executing the trust properly, the beneficiaries could hire an attorney and sue the trustee. Oh. They could sue each other. But they can't sue the and trust. an outside party could even sue one of the parties. But there's no such thing as suing the trust. And, and you see this all the time in foreclosure cases that I've worked where the um, you'll see the mortgage-backed securities – is is a is the the underlying quote trust and then you'll have the bank operating as the trustee like you'll see u.s bank uh as trustee only for the mortgage-backed security trust that mortgage-backed security trust was sold off through wall street as an investment vehicle but it's a trust and that trust by itself can't bring the lawsuit so the trustee is bringing the foreclosure lawsuit on behalf of that mortgage-backed security trust. Ah, so the bank's pulling the trigger. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Well, as you as if you're new today, if you're one of the John B. Wells people from last night, this you're getting a drink of water out of a fire hydrant, and we get off into <laughs> the and some of these things can be extremely complex. But hang in hey, there Mark, with us. Just listen, even if you don't understand, just hang in there. Yeah, yeah. Now, who was trying to say something? What was it? It's Abram. Abram. Um, Abram. I had a Abram. question about. Yep. Good morning. Um, there's. Uh, he mentioned that uh, you'd have a private meeting with the judge, with the trust, for him to confirm or, or inspect it, and it's not. No, he uh, was. He was relating well, a case to us out of the Tenth Circuit, and you may have missed the first part of that. Well, I was just curious about the the meeting portion with the judge, where it's kind of inspected by him, yeah, and then but not by the opposition. Yeah, that's that's news to me, by right. the way. So go ahead. Is that correct, Mark? That this yeah, is part it of the was. Process? Yeah, nobody gets a, it's, uh, it's private. It's a private trust, so we don't file this. In, oh, also, uh, I'm glad you asked that, Abram. We also don't file this into the county records. If you if you go have a, a trust created by an attorney, they're going to file not the entire document, but they're going to file into the record that they created this trust. So they, they put it into public record. Mm-hmm. It's called a statutory trust, and that's mm-hmm. what attorneys create. Is that what's also referred to as a living trust? Um, I don't know per se, but I just know that every attorney that I've ever seen, if they create a trust, they'll record the name of that trust into the public record and, and, and into the property, yeah, probably into the property records office because the trust now holds property. I believe that's correct. Okay. So, Hold on. Oh, man, there's so much background noise you can't even hear it. Wow. Okay. Try again. See, uh, that's diminished a bit. What did, What was your question or comment, please? 
Gosh, they come in here and cause all kind of disruption and then leave. All right, well, maybe it'll re- maybe it'll re- I have a follow-up to, to that. Um, the, the private, the private, oh, there we go again, someone with their uh, microphone. Uh, the private nature it's of this. In, uh, uh, it's Harold in the conference room. Let's get him taken care of so we can go on. Harold, what have you got to say? Oh, Harold! Speak now, speak now, or forever hold your peace. Your your audio sounds horrible. You're like five times as loud as you should be. Speak now, or forever hold your peace. Harold, that's H E R A L D, not H A. Harold, come forward. Okay, well, we're going to move on from Harold. He can't cooperate with us for whatever reason. Roger, uh, were you thinking of the living will, and we shouldn't have? No, him there is a thing him. called a living trust, I believe, Mur. Okay. Okay. But Mark, we really shouldn't have living wills, right? To get off topic, I guess. Well, it, here's the way it typically works: if if you're doing estate planning purposes only, and again, this is very critical. I've, I've told the story where my friend was about to lose his family home that he grew up in uh he owned it separately he didn't live in it so it was an asset but he got sued and he lost he had judgment they did an asset hearing and during the lawsuit he transferred that property into a trust and when when the judge uh, the opposition um fraudulent conveyance uh, fraudulent conveyance Exactly, exactly. They were yelling at and the judge asked him, why did you transfer that property? And very wisely, he said, for estate planning purposes only. For estate planning purposes only. The judge smirked, and the attorneys on the opposite side went crazy, and he wrote down on this piece of paper, exempt. So the judge is writing down, this is exempt property, you cannot take it. And the the attorneys were just throwing a fit. But guess who wrote that law? The attorneys. Yeah. <laughs> the attorneys, that's their little easy out, is if they transfer property in the middle of a lawsuit for estate planning purposes only. So if you use a trust, please, please get that in your mind. If somebody asks you why you created that trust for estate planning purposes only, there's no other reason. Good tidbit. No other reason. Good tidbit there. And, yeah. The other thing too is you want to, you know, if, if you're if your retirement age, and you're looking down the road of maybe needing some type of government assistance as far as like um, um, uh, long term care, you know, like in a nursing home or whatever. Right now, they're going back three years and seeing when you transferred property. Okay, and then. Um, uh, I think it was Murr was asking about the living will. When you see a trust, what they do to kind of cover all bases, they have what they call a pour-over will. Right. So that upon the death of the grantor, anything that they have that they might own that didn't get included in the trust is automatically poured over into the trust Correct. upon their death. Correct. Oh, good idea. Interesting. 
Thank you. It's a real interesting vehicle to be used or trust. They're very interesting. They're somewhat complex, but they're very effective. Who was trying to say something there? Pardon me, Princess? Do you have one set up, Roger? No. I don't have any heirs. You want want to be my beneficiary, Princess? I'm happy to do so. We need to come up with some kind of like a foundation that, uh, you know, the Roger Sales Freedom Foundation for Nationals, and then, you know, you, you can put everything into that. In a foundation, I mean, yeah. have a foundation. I do have a few yeah, assets, Roger. but they're just cold assets, yes. You need to, um, yeah, in some way to protect everything that you've built. You know, I, I I agree with Mark that something needs to be done so that um, your stuff wouldn't end up like John Benson's, maybe in the back of a closet. Like, well, um, I yeah, I've already dropped. You know, like well, well, so, you know what, Nastasha? But I mean, you know, all the information I could yeah, yeah. Well, you know what, dear? I'm already preserved. I'm already out of the closet. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know what I'm saying. You know, your your recordings and your writings and everything. Well, you know, I had a guy years ago. Well, when I was first getting started, I had a guy contact me and wanted to work with me and stuff. And he said, but I won't work with you unless your information is copyrighted. And I said, I don't want to copyright the information. I want the information out there, folks. Okay. I'm not talking copywriting. I know, I know. Uh, well, uh, we'll as anyway. as Ted Kennedy told Mary Jo, we'll drive off that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> Roger, let me let me tell a little story on that, Roger. You know, um, one of my first mentors was Dan Metter and Pat Patton. Pat Patton wrote the book "IRS Liars, Thieves, Thugs, Cowards, and Hypocrites." A very popular book in the Patriot movement. And um, so I remember my first meeting with Dan Metter, um, well, after several meetings, and I'm sitting there looking at the research these guys are just pouring out of their minds. And I'm thinking, because, you know, they're getting to be the age that I am. And I'm like, if something happens to them, where is all this research that they've poured so many thousands of hours and years into where is that going to go? Now, Pat, I asked him, and he wrote a book. And his very succinct thing was about the taxes and the assessment. And he had some success with that, and other people had some success with that. Now, <clears throat> Dan, when he passed, all of his computers and everything just, like, disappeared. People reached out to his wife and his family and Nobody was willing to share the information that Dan had had worked on his uh, research. What, there, there's a so, crime. There's a crime you know, right I, there. It is a crime. It is a crime. So I've, I've, you know, painstakingly. Thankfully, when I worked with him, I I backed up our computers, so I have some of that, but I don't have all of it. And um, and then others like Ralph Winterode. I don't know that, you know, Ralph had anything published. And so, you know, short of just going back through his archives, uh, let me, let me back up. Let me correct myself. I did buy, I was part of his, his IRS mailing list and I did purchase the, uh, 
is six almost sixty four gigabytes of his research right in resources right I mean he had resources that were optically or uh, OCR'd so that you could word search them they were you know converted to to text that was searchable and he painstakingly went through that and they would buy a you know one of these legal books and and scan it in and so he's got Bouvier's and all of Black's Law, I think, up to the seventh or eighth of uh, edition, and um, American Jurisprudence. So, you know, he put a lot of resources in. Then he also put his last case, which was the Moonies, and that has everything Ralph had distilled over the years into an IRS fight um, in Minnesota for a family excuse me, called the Moonies, M-O-O-N-E-Y. And um, so, you know, thankfully I, I got a hold of that, but nobody's been able to get a hold of that since he passed. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Mark, I wanted it's to ask you a question. Roger, and, and I, go ahead. Back in the 90s when we were doing conventions and stuff in Atlanta a lot with our group, we had a guy that they brought in from Tulsa. He was a really nice guy. I got to spend some time with him. I re- we really connected very well. And I do not remember his name. He was an IRS fighter. and But I do remember the title of his book. And, of course, Bill Benson's books were The Law That Never Was. And this guy's book title right. was The Law That Always Was. Do you know who that guy was? Does that ring a bell with you at all? Oh, no. That book does not ring the bell. I know Dan had a lot of people in the Tulsa area that uh, that would come to his meetings and and contribute. And um, I don't know off the top of my head he, who that might be. The law died, that he, always was. The so law that always that. Yeah, well, maybe throw it in a search engine and see if the author comes up. I've been meaning to ask you that. Okay. And just remember, he was such a nice guy, man. I mean, just a really, really great individual. And he died shortly after uh, that from cancer, I remember hearing. So, anyway, I was just curious hmm. if you knew him. I, I don't even remember his name, but he was a super nice guy. So where else can we go this morning? Roger. Yes. Hey, Roger, I might have some. Okay, well, hold on. There's two Rogers there, I think, wasn't there? Wasn't yeah, there? this is Glenn. Kent. Okay, well, I'm going to go to Glenn first, okay? Glenn, you were the first. Hi, Glenn. You knew? No, Roger. I spoke to you a couple of times. Fairly new. Uh, I sent in my uh, affirmation. To the Secretary of State in your, June. Your, you mean your affidavit? Yes. Okay. And um, and I noticed the IRS uh, January third. Yeah. And I've been speaking to Mark. He's been helping me. So oh, great. Uh, but uh, Mark is saying that uh, it'll probably be a ten forty NR that I will need to fill out. I believe you said we should go ahead and pay taxes for. The no, previous year. Yeah, well, if you, you you did this at filing earlier this year uh, with the Secretary of State in June of last. Year. Oh, in June of last year. Well, boy, you're right in. I don't know what to tell you to do. I don't know whether to tell you not to file. I don't know to suggest you do an NR. I, I honestly don't know what to tell you to do. 
Um, you are, it sounds like, however, a candidate potentially to do a revocation of election and get three years back. Right. So if that's a case and that looks like a distinct possibility, we're going to have that avenue open to us. You might go ahead and just file a regular 1040 for last year if you're going to get it all back. Mark, what say you on this? Roger, um, well, I remember Monica telling us that if you file your affidavit within the year, that you don't have to file. Oh, okay. I know one thing. Exactly. I file in 1040 NRs, man. I, I, I'm still reacting from getting burned by that 30 years ago, okay? That cost me $35,000, all right? So I, I honestly don't know what to tell you, Glenn. You got Mark, what, what say you? Well, I was agreeing with Mark. Uh, you know, we had that um, that particular tax code that said that if uh, a person became a national the previous year, that that they do not file a joint return, mm. right? So if you have a, a husband a and wife or, or a couple, right. a spouse, spouses, I should say, and one of them becomes a national um, during that previous tax year. So like for 2022, Glenn, Glenn uh, sent in his, his affidavit to the U.S. Department of State, and he became a national at that point. So the way I see it, according to that code, would be that he would not file a regular 1040 this year, that he would have to file something else, which I believe would be the, the 1040 NR. Well, non-resident that, alien. Well, that might that might be right. Um, and and while we're talking about that, I got something really important. A lot of people like to use H and R Block for their for their taxes. And uh, oh, I, I better not announce that. <laughs> okay, you know, let I used to, I used to have. Let me just <laughs> while you're right there while you're backing up. I used to have a tax preparer. Don't right? use it. Don't use it. And I used to use in Atlanta, who was from the Midwest and actually knew the Block Brothers when they started that. He used to work for them. Okay. Well, let me let me put it this way: um, there are tax preparing companies, and probably individual tax preparers, but um, there are some tax preparing preparing companies that require their employees to turn in a list of questionable um, questionable taxpayers that might have cheated on their records or whatever, and they're, they're required to turn that in, and then that company will turn that in to the IRS anonymously, and if the IRS audits them and gets money, that company gets a cutout. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Remember I told great. you about Schedule very, 1? Very, very Has careful. that on there? Yes, yes, be very careful on who you Yeah, be very careful who you use on your taxes. Right. They reward snitches. Okay. Roger. Now there's Paul. Oh, Roger. Room oh, two. Roger. Oh, we're gonna let Paul get out what he's got going first. What, Paul? We have Paul in room two who had his hand up for some time. All right. Paul well, from Florida. Okay, Paul from Florida, come forward. Star six or unmute or whatever you got to do. Come on, Paul, just hit that hit that 
mute button on that menu. There you go. Got it. Hey, Paul. Good morning. Goodbye. Okay, Hello. well, the unmuted, but we're not hearing anything. Oh, Paul. Can you guys hear me okay now? We hear you now. Yes. Hey, oh, Paul. Sorry about that. I had too many windows open. I yeah. had a passport question. Okay. I have an open passport, and from what I understand, I would have to do a renewal, but on the DS82 renewal form, I'm not seeing any check boxes where I could get my status corrected. There's no citizen check boxes. Do you think so? I'm gonna, afraid you, that Paul. Now hold on. Do you think that they're going to put that right in front of you where they say, "Are you a national or a citizen?" Do you really think they're going to do that in that passport application when they've gone to such lengths well, to hide it? Where I'll tell you where your checkbox is. Where your checkbox is is the warning in the instructions. See, what's happening here okay. is they're running under a theory called presumption of law. You, the system was in operation. You were born into it. Your parents had not opted out of it, so you're in it. They've asked you those questions your whole life. Are you a citizen of the United States or a resident? You probably answered yes every time they ever asked you. The presumption is set. Okay. The only way you can rebut the presumption is to put that affidavit in the application package. They're okay, never. So they'll do the DS. No, you do it. No, yeah, you got to do an 82, and you're going to have to send in your open passport with it. They'll return that one back okay. to you, and when your new one is completed processing, they'll send it to you. But they never ask you. You know, I mean, I covered it last night on the on the Well Show on the oath. I, Paul from Tampa, I, I, I do certify under penalty of perjury that I'm a citizen of the United States or a non-citizen national and have not since acquiring United States citizenship or U.S. nationality. See, in the new versions, they've dropped non off the second one. Do you see how they covered their ass here? The first time they refer to it, it's a non-citizen national. The second time, they just use nationality. So now the national's in the oath. That's recent, okay, by the way. So anyway, that's the first part of it. And it says, and then uh, and if you have violated any of the terms and conditions listed on section so-and-so of the instructions, unless explanatory statement is attached. So, Paul. When they mention the difference in statuses twice above that in the oath, but they get down to the point where if you've been caught smuggling cocaine or boinking little boys or girls in Bangkok, they want you to do an explanatory statement, and they put that in the oath. Why didn't they put an explanatory statement on the two different types of citizenship mentioned twice above? They didn't say anything about an explanatory statement. Where do they tell you that? In the warning in the instructions where it says you can attach documentation, including affidavits. See how they hide this? They're never going to ask you, are you one or the other? You're going to have to know, and you're going to have to submit that to them, specifically to them, for them to rebut the presumption. Yeah, I guess my concern is 
you know, the, the government employee that's processing these applications. Well, maybe I can recognize that affidavit. Well, uh, let me re, let me, let me see if I can maybe potentially reassure you here. One of your fellow Floridians, uh, around Tampa named Dave checks in with us occasionally and he was as skeptical as you are. Okay. And so what he did was call the passport office and a guy called him back. Nice guy. And he said, listen, I'm just trying to make sure I'm listed as a national. And he pulls up the guy, the passport office, pulls up his profile. And he goes, yeah, you're listed as a national. And then he pulls up his affidavit. And he starts reading it. And he goes, wow, this is really good. We don't have any problem filing one-page stuff. It's those books that people send us, like David Strait students, that get shoved to the back of the desk. And then he said this, we're having so many of these submitted lately that they're holding special classes for employees on how to process them correctly. Well, that's good news. Okay. I can attest to that. Oh, is that Dave right people, there? People, the warning box is on page four of DS-82. Well, they keep changing it around. When I first saw one, it was at the top of the first page. So, Paul, did that help you out? Did that reassure you a little bit? Yep, I appreciate okay. that. Thank yeah. you. All right. Now, Paul, you got to – That, you, was, that I, was Dave. Oh, okay. I thought it was Paul. No, no, it was Dave that that, that came chimed in. in. He was okay, the one that made the phone right, call. right, right, right. I got that. Okay, now who else was trying to say, "Hey, Roger, there." I was, I was, I, I was um, Nastasha, and I just wanted to state. I think the name of the person is Vern Holland. Vern Holland. Thank you. The, the log that always was. Thank you. freedomschool.com. dot com. He was a really good guy, Mark Vern Holland. That doesn't ring a bell with you. Oh, the name does. I didn't know he wrote a book. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just found a short article on Larry B. Kraft's website, and I just emailed it to you. Yeah. And, and it was very interesting. Um, and, and they tell about the story where Vern had got indicted, and uh, they had an, an attorney come in, and, and it ended up in a, in a hung trial. Now, here's the fascinating part. You ready for this? They said that, that uh, when they had the mistrial – because they couldn't get a, a you know a hundred percent of the jury to find him guilty, they left the courthouse and went over to Vern's office to relax and said five of the jurors came over there and joined their organization. Uh, what was it called? FEA Freeman Education Association. The four lady of the jury. Yeah, isn't that crazy? The jurors come over and said, "I want to sign up for this." <laughs> he was a the very four lady of the jury was so. I, I was just going to say he was a very charismatic guy. And so the forelady of the jury was so enthused about her experience, she just she decided to go to law school. <laughs> and in the proceedings in this case, yeah. In the case later years, the forelady would appear with me in court as my paralegal. We uh, consumed lots of time after the trial pursuing two appeals asserting the defendant's right not to be retried 
And so they gave the case there. It's United States versus Holland in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, 1992, and another one in 1994. And said um, uh, Dave and Vern went on a speaking tour like crazy. Everybody wanted to hear them. And he said as the years passed regarding that case, everyone was getting tired, including Vern and Dave. They were getting tired of the, the speaking engagements and said the special agent that was involved in going after Dave and, and Vern was involved in a, a, a notorious auto accident and the prosecutors wanted to end the case. And so um, according to Beecraft's poster, he said eventually we made a deal. This indictment would be dismissed and Vern and Dave would plead to an information charging willful failure, failure to file tax returns, which were old offenses to which we waived the statute of limitations, and Vern and Dave got 30 days of community service. There you go. And then uh, said Vern was a paralegal for him for many years, and um, or before the case started, Vern was a paralegal, and Vern died in 2006. Yeah, and then Dave died of cancer in uh, March of 2016. So Vern was Beecraft's paralegal. Is that what I got out of that? That's what it. That's what it sounded like. This well, is, now uh, Beecraft didn't put his name on it, but it's posted on Beecraft's website. Well, and uh, from so knowing as the years pass regarding the case, yeah, from knowing both of those guys at least surface with Vern. I can understand where they'd be big buddies. Right. They'd be big buddies. They're both same type of people. Yeah, yeah. Larry, in the later years, listen, Beecraft is In the is later a, years, Vern was a paralegal for me. Yeah, Beecraft is a charming, charming guy, okay? Oh, he is. He really is. I mean, he's fun. I, he's, I come, I you know, he, I, we don't think alike, yep. but I, I like him, you know? Yeah, I agree. He can't think he was, outside as, the as, box. As, you, know, you know, as the years pass... Go ahead. Beecraft was doing on a good faith argument. Beecraft was doing good faith arguments, and I guess somehow the, the United States uh, attorneys were finding ways to shoot that down. Right. So right. That was not I, not being as, as effective as as it used to be. And of course, Beecraft is an IRS specialist. You know, he used to be the attorney for uh, uh, Cottmeyer's thing up there. And uh, I remember when John and Glenn first started coming out and putting all their information together after getting those books and stuff, and John was on the phone with Larry one time for three hours it, going over this old English process because Larry didn't know it, okay? And so I remember John's comment after that conversation. You're, you're going to like this, Mark. <laughs> he said, Larry's been lawyering too long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just, he cannot think outside the box. He can't do it. Yeah. Or he won't do it, one of the two. Yeah. Okay, a couple of people are trying to say okay. something. Oh, the other thing I wanted to tell you about Vern. I remember something he told me all those years ago. We were talking about IRS. And he said, you know, the IRS is like a tidal wave of molasses. He said, you see it coming, and it's real, real slow. But once it gets you tangled up in it, it's like being with the tar baby. You can't get out. Oh, that's so true. 
Yep. Good old Vern. I'm glad we dug that up today because I'd forgotten his name, and I was real impressed with that guy in those days. Uh, where else can we go this morning? I have a question real quick for Mark. Okay, good. Uh, Mark. Um, All right, hold TP, beach in. TP, go ahead. Uh, this is Abram. Um, oh, Abram. Related to that, the, the private, I guess, contract where the judge uh, would review it independently, is there are there any other parallels that you're aware of to that where the judge will will view things independently? Because that seems kind of similar to when you send your affidavit to the court and uh, he, he reviews it and then would only mention it to you and say, you know, I read your letter and and say nothing about it. You know, it's like that the whole silence deems consent thing. You know, is there a way that you can you schedule private meetings with judges around these sort of things? Well, yes, you can, but both parties or all parties have to be there. You can request, Even, if it's something private that shouldn't be in the public record, you can ask for an in-camera meeting, and that can be done either in the judge's chambers, his office, or it could be in the courtroom if no other parties are there. In other words, you don't have be uh, visitors sitting in the gallery or or other attorneys that are not involved in the case are in there. You can... You know, you can, it can be done in the courtroom, but typically you would go into the judge's office and, and discuss whatever you're discussing. Would be in a, 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 a but you got to request it. As a, being, as a private, because they well, certainly anything, seem to treat it. It could be any Well, Abram, I don't, uh, anybody, if you're involved in a court case and it's something that's sensitive, you don't want in the public realm, you don't want it filed into the court record, you you have a right to request, you're asking for an in-camera private meeting, and then you discuss whatever issues at hand that, that you want to be have kept private. It could be somebody's mental capacity, it could be you know, several different things, or we got private documents that we don't want in the public record. We don't want to give a copy to our opposition, but we want the judge to look at our paperwork and, and see whatever we're trying to, you know, show the court and, and, and prove to the other party that, you know, whatever. Again, it's, it's, it's going to be based on the circumstances of that case. I thought the most interesting aspect of it was the opposing parties couldn't see the document, quite frankly. On that particular one, yes. Yes, they're, they're just going to have to accept the judge's word. Uh, hopefully he's a unbiased trier of fact and that he looks at it and says, well, this meets the standards because really the other party doesn't have a right to even look at the contents of that trust. Now you can fill out an affidavit. A trustee or beneficiaries can fill out affidavits to, to, you know, certain events. Uh, or that they are the beneficiary or the trustee had the authority to open up a bank account or do whatever they're doing inside the trust or for the purposes of the trust. But as far as the contents of the trust, it's private. Okay. And even the judge can't make copies. I mean, the judge can could review it, you know, and, and confirm that it's a valid, legitimate trust, but nobody's supposed to get copies of it. There you I go. think the answer uh, to, to my question uh, you mentioned with the affidavit, you can send an affidavit to the judge, and then he can affirm it, or you know, confirm it, or or you know, reject it, or whatever. 
And that sounds like that's what happens when you send your letter in. He just acknowledges it. He and then it's not, not a word. He, he can't reject your affidavit because that's your sworn testimony. He can counteract no, your affidavit. But, but, but it sounds like that's the mechanism that, that's occurring because, you know, everything else gets entered and, and, and just is basically discussed in, in public. But when you send this, uh, they, you know, like, uh, I forget someone else, uh, a couple of months ago mentioned that they have a, a DA friend and they asked him questions and they said, I can't talk about that. Right. Oh, that was Adam. like when those, that was Adam down in uh, Alabama. Yeah. Right. So it's like this taboo thing, which is kept in private. So when you send these, the affidavit and they say, you know, we, we can't reject this or, or, or say anything about it, but we're certainly not going to discuss it publicly. Well, go file it in the property records office. Then it's public record. Right. Okay. So this has also made me contemplate this this uh, national status and so forth. I think there are times, like what you're saying, Abram, they don't want it in the public record. They don't want the case in the public record. Amen. And right. frankly, uh, boy, I've seen patriots abuse uh, court documents and so forth. There's uh, probably some times that I wouldn't want the public to have access to my document. I can tell you one time um, they put it under seal can, is what you're talking about. And I remember Tom Schaff telling me exactly. that he had some uh, students that went and took the case that the bank never loaned them money and brought the fraud out. The court decided in their favor and gave them a free house and put the case under seal. Yeah, yeah. And you can request the case be sealed right up front. So I don't know I, that that would be a bad name, idea, depending upon the circumstances. Like my, uh, they said that these documents will not be filed in court, and then my letter was stamped filed in court, just the cover letter. So it's like so they, they documented your affidavit and citizenship. Yeah, and they did not file that in court, but they did file the. Uh, the letter, the cover letter, which was generic. Please see the, uh, you know, attached documents. Yep. Well, that's no, like that case that in Alabama anymore. where the guy snuck, you know, the his ex-wife and her family were suing him over a child settlement deal. You heard this story, Mark? I had a student up in Huntsville, Alabama. He was an engineer, pretty smart guy, married a foreign gal, brought her over a trip to Europe, you know, love affair, brings her over, they get married, they have a child, and then they get divorced. Well, in the interim, since it was the only grandchild, the parents came over to live here. And so they, looking at the news, and he, following us, think he's a sovereign citizen. And the problem was that he had been given control in the settlement on the child custody decision over all the medical stuff. And he didn't want the kid getting any Mm -hmm. vaccines. And they were about, this is before COVID, they were about apoplectic to get some shots in that kid. Okay, So that was the point they revisited the child custody decision. And in doing so, they filed, he said, Roger, I think they filed your book. That my name was in their pleadings, uh, his affidavit was in the pleadings, and so the moving party put it into play. So now he gets called up to the stand, and because it's in the play, he brings up the affidavit yep. and starts reading it in court. And the judge goes, don't read that document go. in this courtroom. Exactly. Wow. You know why, don't you? Sure. Sure. 
because it takes them out of their jurisdiction. Correct. He's no longer in their jurisdiction if they read that out loud. So that's an he called in and told us that story. Okay, that's the only time wow, that I know horrible. that one of these affidavits got into a courtroom setting, and that was the result. Don't read that document in this courtroom. I also want to so, clarify so, something because, you know, Avery, it sounded like you were talking about giving it to the judge. Well, when you file something in the court, you go to a court clerk. The judge is out of the loop when your initial filing. Now, they may want to strike it from the record and pull it out, but you're the person or your attorney is the person who goes and files your documents with the court clerk, and it goes into a physical file. And, of course, now they're scanning them electronically, and a lot of that's available online now for convenience. All right. Uh, but it would it would be the judge or opposing party who would have to say, no, that needs to be stricken from the record. When they so filed the case. Your documents when, into the court record. When you file the case with the court clerk, doesn't that put it on the docket, Mark? You, uh, well, you have to request a hearing. If you file a motion, you have to request a hearing. Okay. All right. Let's well, put it on the docket as far as the court record. I call it the docket sheet. Yes, you're right. You're correct, Roger. Okay. What about uh, there's a female trying to get in there? Who is it? It's Nastasha. It's it's a federal offense if the clerk does not file the document. It's not up to the clerk. That's correct. To, yeah. That's correct. If he's handed the document, especially if it's pro se, he ha- he or she has to file that document. Unless, unless there's one excuse they can come back on and stop that, and that's you haven't exhausted your administrative appeals. Well, it doesn't sound like that's well, what Well, I would argue that's not up to the court clerk. That's not up to the yeah. court clerk to decide that. Now, if your case is wrong, supposed to read your you got the wrong that's correct too. I'm trying you to know, he can out. he 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 can make sure if there's certain local rules are followed, but even then, under pro se, they have to accept it, even if quote it's not perfect, it's not the way they want it. Right, they can't yep. refuse it, and it is a federal offense. And and that's all under all form and no substance on any objections because you're a pro se. But federal offenses don't apply. Boom. Okay. Oh, yep. Hold that. Hold that. 